Thank you for taking the time to watch this weekend's message. If you are ever in the Denver metro area, we would love to have you join us at one of our services on Saturday or Sunday. We also stream our services to Facebook and our website every Sunday at 9 a.m. If you plan on watching live, be sure to invite your friends to watch with you. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, hey, it's great to be with you guys this weekend as we wrap up this series we've been in called Mixtape. I also want to welcome everybody joining us online this Labor Day weekend. If you haven't been with us over the past month to be a part of this series, here's the good news. Each weekend, like the songs of a mixtape, are completely unique. And so, in other words, what we talked about last week doesn't affect what we're talking about this week or or any other week. It's been similar to a mixtape. And the only thing that we've said is a common thread through it all is we're going to share with you guys our favorite sermons. Well, I don't preach enough to have a favorite sermon of my own, so what I want to do is share with you the only sermon that Jesus ever preached. Jesus was known for telling stories and short illustrations, but we have in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount, the only recorded sermon that he ever preached. 2,000 years, billions of followers, and only one sermon. So it's going to be one of the best things he's ever said. That's why we're calling this weekend his greatest hits. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today, if you want to get there. We're going to be in just the middle of the sermon. We're talking about this section on worry. Now, Matthew is one of the four Gospels, and the Gospel means good news. There were four guys who wrote about the life of Jesus, and and each of those Gospels is also like a mixtape because they picked and selected what it is they thought was essential for their audience. In other words, none of them wrote exactly everything that Jesus ever said and did. Matthew didn't write what Mark wrote and Luke and John. They all wrote very different things, what they thought was important. It would be like if we left here today and we said, okay, let's make a mixtape of our 10 favorite songs. We probably aren't going to have two tapes that are identical in this entire room. So we would probably have some similar styles of music, similar genres, maybe a song or two in common. We'd probably all have Hey Jude on there because everyone needs to have Hey Jude in the top ten. That's just a given. But but the Gospels did not have all of that in common. They they, they shared what they thought was important. And so today we're going to look at what Matthew recorded, the Sermon on the Mount, the only sermon that Jesus ever preached. But we're just going to look at a portion of it. So let's pick up in verse 25 of chapter 6. Jesus says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing like Solomon. uh, But yet Solomon, the king, the most richest king in Israel, in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. 
Jesus talks about worry because what he knows, and I think what we've all experienced, is we're all going to have worry in our life. Every generation has different sets of worries. Like the things that we worry about today didn't even exist 2,000 years ago when Jesus first preached this. But in every season of life, there's something to worry about. You might come out of a season that you were worried about something, and you're like, okay, good, I'm glad that's in the past. Well, now there's something new. Right? It's like when my kids were, were both infants, they both had issues swallowing food. Our firstborn was born four weeks early and she didn't have a developed esophagus, so we had to weigh down her formula. And the doctor said after we finished feeding her, we needed to keep her upright for a half hour. So we would be feeding her and she'd fall asleep and we just had to kind of sit there like this, keeping her upright in the most uncomfortable position before we could put her down for her nap. And then my second born, she wasn't born early, but she had this thing called pyloric stenosis. You don't have to write that down. It's not going to be on a test. Pyloric stenosis is this thing where your muscle doesn't open up in your stomach, and so the food comes like all the way down to here, and then she just puked it all up on us. We, we literally fed her wearing parkas. We had to cover the chair. We, it was disgusting. And so at five weeks old, we have to hand this little baby girl back to the children's hospital for them to perform surgery on her. They're, I mean, that's a stressful time. Every time we put them down, we're, we're just staring at them, like making sure they're still breathing, right? And we slowly walk away. Is it okay to leave the room yet? And then, you know, we get to our room and we'd have the baby monitor with the video on it. We're just glued to it. And we're like, I don't think she's breathing. Get back in there. Get back in there. You know, it's stressful. We don't have that stress today. And in a few years, they're going to be teenagers. And man, I can only imagine, parents, if you've been through this, let me know. I mean, is there a different set of worries when you have teens? Has anybody experienced that? That's what I was afraid of. I'm going to need some prayer in a few years. But we all have different worries in our lives at different seasons, and Jesus understood that. But before we break down what, what he was saying in this sermon, I think there's some things that you and I need to know about worry. I found this fascinating. I hope that this helps you, uh, and it's not just a complete waste of our time. We'll find out. Let's see what happens. Worry was done, a study of, it says 40% of the things we worry about will never happen. This is a recent study done of people, 40% of the things you and I worry about will never happen. Maybe you've had that moment where like your boss texts you right before you go to bed and they say, hey, I need to talk to you tomorrow. And you're like, yeah, no problem. And you put it down, you get ready for bed, then you get in bed, and what happens? You start thinking, what do they want to talk about? Is there something I said? What did I do? This is something I didn't do? Like you start freaking out, right? And you're tossing and you're turning all night thinking about what this could be about. You look over at your clock, it says 2 a.m. And you're thinking, okay, if I go to sleep now, I could at least get four hours. I can operate on four hours of sleep, right? You, am I the only one that does this? So, so then you, you figure it out. You're like, oh, it's got to be this. I, I know it's this. And they're going to probably want to say this. And so now the rest of your night, still not sleeping, it's your argument against what they're going to say. And so you're tossing and turning and thinking, okay, he's going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and it's going to be so eloquent. I'm going to win him over. It's going to be great. And the next day you go to work, right? And you're like, hey, you need to talk to me about something? And you're like locked and loaded for this argument because you've been up all night. You're like, okay, what is it? And they're just like, well, I just wanted to say I really appreciate all your hard work. And you're like, what? No, that's not it. Like, come on, they're never going to know how eloquent of a speech I had. I'm, I, I had this chance to win them, and all you want to do is thank me? Come on. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. 40% of the stuff will never happen in our lives. 30% are things that you and I can't change. So, so why even bother with it, right? We can't change it. 12%, we're 
We're fear of criticism of other people. We're afraid of what they'll think of us, which is ironically also something we can't change. Uh, 10%, 10% is health related. And the weird thing about that is worrying actually causes more health issues. Here, here are just a few of those issues that they'll the, hear about the physical health. It could give you headaches, muscle pain, chest pain, fatigue, loss of sex drive. Now, is anybody worried about being worried? Upset stomach, lack of sleep, skin irritation. Uh, it can have effect on your, your mood, the health of your, your mood, your attitude. It can give you restlessness, lack of motivation or focus, feeling overwhelmed, easily irritable, sadness, and it can even lead to depression. Or it can even affect your behavior. Here's some of the behavioral health risks. Uh, overeating or undereating. Not a good diet plan, by the way. Uh, outbursts of anger, drug or alcohol misuse. You know, you have a really stressful day at work and you come home and you just say, I just need a glass of wine. And, and by glass, I mean bottle. And let's be honest, I need a box. Like that's, that's the misuse of alcohol that worry can bring. It can cause tobacco use, social withdrawal, or maybe even exercising less. Now listen, I'm not a doctor, so nothing I just said was a diagnosis of anything that you have. So if you have those symptoms, this is not a commercial for any medicine, you need to talk to a professional. So that leaves 8%. 8% of our worry are actual things. Things that you and I can affect, things that we can control. 8% of our stress and our worry are actual things. Now, Jesus is, is not talking about concern, okay? We need to clarify was before we break this all down, what he's talking about. Concern and worry are two different things. Concern is, is responsibility on our end. In other words, Jesus isn't saying that you should start a, a diet of bacon and beer tomorrow, and that's all you do and say, well, he said not to worry about what I eat. No, that's, that's irrational, it's irresponsible. He's not talking about concern. He's talking about worry. And this word that he's using in the first century referred to sleeplessness. So in other words, he's saying, don't allow any thought to consume your mind that causes you to lose sleep. Don't let anything rob you of the peace and the joy that I can bring you. That's the worry that he is talking about in this. And he says this three times. Have you ever had any of the, the, the symptoms that we were talking about earlier, sleeplessness or, or restlessness, stomach issues, all that, you're stressed about something, and, and someone says, hey, don't worry. It, it's not going to be something that would help us, so why would Jesus say it three times? It's like husbands, uh, when your wives are getting a little over-emotional, you know, they're kind of overreacting, getting all worked up, and you think, I know what to say. Sweetie, just calm down. <laughs> Has that ever worked? So why would it work for Jesus to say, don't worry, when, when clearly there is a lot to worry about? Could it be that Jesus understands something that we don't? Could it be that, that he has already seen the outcome of the very thing that we are worried about, and he knows the results of it all? I remember in the, the late 1900s, we had these things called VCRs. Anybody remember a VCR? VCRs weren't as good as, v, or as, a, as the DVRs of today, but my friend John had this really cool VCR that you could program. And one night, a bunch of us were serving at church, and our favorite basketball team, I'm from Southern California, so the Los Angeles Lakers were in the championship game. And we, we made the commitment to serve at church, so we're not going to back out of that just because the game's on, but luckily John has some high-tech VCR. 
And so he pops the VHS and he puts in the time. We all go serve at church. And God, he, he's blessing our faithfulness by allowing John to have this crazy technology that we just came out with. But somewhere along the line, after I leave, before I get to John's house, I discover that the Lakers won the game. Thank God. They probably won the championship that year too. But that's, that's another story. And so when we get to the game, I remember there was this one play where the ball goes out of bounds and the ref called it out on the Lakers, but they keep showing the replay in slow-mo and they're like, nope, that's out on the other team. And my friends, you have friends like this too, you might even be that friend. What are you thinking, ref? That's a horrible call. And they're getting all worked up and I'm just sitting back like, yeah, man, that's too bad. I, I hope we can pull this one out. I mean, that's, that's a tough break. <laughs> You get to the end of the game, it's a close game, and every Lakers fan says the same thing. Get the ball to Kobe. Get it to Kobe. Get it to Kobe. And I'm just like, yeah, twiddling my thumbs on the couch. I really hope Kobe gets the ball. I mean, we need the score. Could it be that Jesus, when he says not to worry about whatever it is you're worried about, has already seen the victory on the other side? That he already knows that you have overcome it, and he already knows exactly how you'll overcome it. And so we're going to look at the worry that Jesus is talking about because I think in, in this sermon that he preached, we, we can see some causes of worry and I think we can see some cures for our worry. So I, I hope you're taking notes today, at least are in your notes. Uh, the first thing that causes us to worry is we focus on less. We worry when we focus on less. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, life is more than food and your body is more than than clothing. We focus on less when we sweat the small stuff. Uh, we focus on less when we take our, our focus off of what matters most and we have it on what matters now. We lose sight of the big picture because the minute details of the moment are too important. We've all done this as parents. I'm, I know I'm guilty of this as a parent. I remember when my oldest was starting school and we were living in a state that uh, was 49th in the nation in education. Like the state motto is, we're better than Mississippi. That's on the flag. That's their boast. We're better than Mississippi. So, so there's some stress there, man. Do we really want our children growing up in this public school system? And so we thought about the other options. Well, then we looked into homeschooling. My wife did the research online, and she talked to other friends who were doing some homeschooling in that state and in other states. And there was a lot of things that she would have to do to get ready for that, including not work to be home with our, our child all day to teach her. Well, there was also this really good Christian school, Secret Option 3. And so we thought, man, we could maybe do the Christian school. But I don't know if you know this about private schools. They're not cheap. So basically, we'd both have to take full-time jobs and all of that money would go to our child's education. We'd have to sacrifice all these things for a kindergartner to get educated. And so this was like an actual worry of our life. We were debating whether or not we should do this. We were praying about it and we were losing sleep, talking about it. And the next day we wake up, hey, we should homeschool. And the next day we wake up, let's just try that private school. And the next day, like every decision was never final. Now, if we had stopped focusing on less if we had stopped focusing on that moment and focused on what matters most, we could have saved ourselves some heartache in that moment. Because what matters most in every child's life is that you're raising them to find and follow Jesus. It's not just a mission statement of a church, it's what really matters in life. And if we had been focused on that, you know, can, can our kids follow Jesus? Can they love Jesus as an adult if, if, if any of these outcomes? I mean, that is success as a parent. I mean, your kid might be living with you at 28, but if they know Jesus, you've done something right. So good job. 
And if we had looked through that lens and we had focused on more, we had focused on what matters most, we could have asked, well, can they follow Jesus if they go to a public school? I mean, yeah, that's sure. I mean, they might learn some new words that we don't know, but that's a part of it. But it's a great mission field if they were going there. Could they, could they follow Jesus and love Jesus if we homeschooled them? Absolutely. They'll probably turn out a little socially awkward, but the 50-50 chance of that anyways because they're my kids. I'm a little weird. Could they find and follow Jesus and love Jesus if they went to the Christian school? Sure. It's not as likely, but there's a chance, right? But do you see that when you focus on what matters most, if you focus on the big picture, if you, you focus on, on the future and not just the moment, it, it releases that stress from us. We, we focus on less when we focus on what matters now and not what matters most. And that's what Jesus is saying is a big cause of our worry. Life is more than these things. The second thing in your notes there, if you're taking notes, is we worry when we focus, or sorry, when we think we're not valuable. The cause of our worry is we think we're not valuable. Look at what Jesus says again in verse 26. He says, look at the birds. They don't plan or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? He's likely talking about the scavenger birds, like crows or ravens. You know, the, the animals that you see when you're approaching roadkill, and they're just pecking away at the carcass. We've all seen this. And you, you get close, and you think, oh, I'm going to create more roadkill today. But at the last minute, they jump out of the way and immediately start pecking at that, that dying animal. That's who Jesus compares us to. Jesus says if, if they get to feed off something that they didn't even work for, in other words, God feeds them by allowing the circle of life to happen. One, man, one, one, one animal's death is another animal's survival. If God takes care of those animals, then why not take care of you? Why, why wouldn't you believe that you are more valuable to him than they are? And maybe you've thought this before. You're thinking, man, I, I got all this worry on my plate, but God's got a lot more on his plate, so I'm just not even going to bother him with this. You know, he's got the whole world, so, so why does my issue even matter to him? I just want you to know, if, if God has the whole world in his hand, then he definitely can also take control of what it is you're worried about. I mean, humans are God's favorite, if you don't know. It says in Genesis 1 that we were the only thing in all creation made in his image. There's nothing else. And when he got done making creation, he's got the universe, the stars, the rocky mountains, the sunsets. He sits back and he, he's kind of modest about it if you read it. He's, he says, yeah, that's good. I mean, the things that we think are beautiful, he's like, yeah, that's good. And then he makes humans. He puts humans on the planet. And he's like, wow, did you guys see what I just did? He's like, that is very good. That is excellent. In John 3.16, one of the famous verses of all the Bible, it says that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins. Now, he didn't die for the sins of birds or even cooler animals like puppies or giraffes or anything like that. No, he died for the sins of you and me so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There is no record anywhere of any animal ever professing faith in Jesus Christ. Only humans did Jesus die for. We are his favorite. We are cherished. We are valuable. So if he takes care of all of creation, how much more so is he going to care for your needs, care for your worries, 
take care of you and take care of me. We are more valuable. The third thing there in your notes, we, we worry when we believe it's all on us. We worry when we believe that it's all on us. Take a look at verse 25. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Now this one might be difficult for some of you if you're like me. Uh, we're driven, we're task focused, we're overachievers. Our motto is if it's gonna be, it's up to me. Anytime you're sweating, you're like, no, I got this, don't worry. But Jesus is saying, you don't got this. I got this. And every time you think you got this, you're going to worry. We elevate ourselves to this position of someone who's in control or someone who can actually make a difference in what we're worried about. And Jesus is saying, this is going to cause you worry. All you need to know is that God is in control. One of my uh, favorite values that we have here as a staff, it's out there on the wall, is that we pray as if everything depends on God, but we work as if it depends on us. In other words, we don't work and, and try to get stuff done, and then when we get burned out or stressed, we then pray and say, God, could you please help me? I'm, I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. No, we pray first. We look to see what God is blessing and what only he can do, and then we do what only we should do or what we could do. We do this in, in everything that we do here as a church. I mean, we're launching groups in a few more weeks. And now we've done so much to get these groups ready. Our small groups director has made phone calls to get hosts so that we've got enough groups for everyone to get connected. We've updated a website. We've created videos. There's stuff printed on your seats. I mean, if you've been in our bathroom, you see what we call the potty promo. That's where you see what's coming up here at Orchard. We've done all, all that we can do, including start groups online to where now if, if you don't want to leave your home, if you just want to be dressed from here up, that's fine. You can do that with your webcam, and we're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about Jesus on those online groups. We started helping with childcare even, so if you want to take a night to go and be with a small group, someone can stay with your kids, we'll help you with that. We've done all that we can do, right? But, but really, only God can convince somebody that they need community. Only God can convince you that there's more to life than just coming on a weekend and listening to what God has to say to you. It's discussing it with others. It's praying with others. It's leaning on others as you need to be held up and, and, and holding them up as you need to support them. Only God can do certain things, and so we pray for what God can do. God, would you do what only you can do? So we do what only we should do. It's not all on us. We trust God for the results. We've got some goals, we've got vision of what we think God wants us to do, but ultimately, it's up to God. And so those are the three things that we see there. And, and one of the writers in Philippians talking about prayer, he, he says this uh, in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 4. says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So whatever it is that's bothering you, you just bring it to God. You just tell him, God, here it is. And then you be thankful for everything he's done. Do you know how difficult it is to worry about something when your focus is on what you have to be thankful for? You try it this week. If, if there's something that, that is, is causing you to stress or causing you to worry, take some time, write it down, all of the things that you have to be thankful for. I did this once. 
I can't remember even what the worry was about, but I sat down and intentionally wrote out things I was thankful for. Thankful for all God has done for me. Thankful for my family, my wife, my kids, my health, all these things. And when that's your focus, the worries just fade away. This is what the author of that is saying. Bring your thanksgiving to God and you will receive peace. We also see some cures from this passage. And obviously, if you take those three causes and you flip them around, you're going to be cured of of worry because those are the things that are causing you to worry. But here are two other things that we see in your notes. The first cure is that we need to trust that God is good. Look at verse 32. These things, talking about the, the worries of the world, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Before you even pray it, before you even think it, God already knows you need it. And so why worry about the things that we know that that God knows we need? And if it's on your mind, then it's on God's heart because he truly cares for us. In Matthew 7, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is comparing heavenly father, God, to an earthly father. And he says, if you guys know how to give good gifts to your kids, if you're good to your own children and provide for them, and yet as humans you have all these flaws, all these weaknesses, how much more will your heavenly father provide for all of your needs? It's like when when my kids and I are, are at the pool, We have a pool in our community that has a a kid's pool, and then we have a pool that has a deep end of six feet. And my kids can play freely in that that shallow end pool. The kid's pool, it's like three feet, four feet. But they're scared to go in the six-foot pool unless I'm with them. And so they've taken lessons ever since they were babies, you know, like while they're still wearing diapers. But basically those lessons were how not to drown. But I've seen them swim. They can swim from one end of the pool to the other, even in the six feet. But if I'm not in there... They're concerned that what if I don't come back up? And so if I'm in the pool, man, there's no fear. There's no worry. There's no concern. They're jumping in. They're swimming to me. They're hanging on to me because they know I'm good. I'm going to hold them. I'm not going to let them drown. They also know that I can stand firmly in six feet and still have my head above water. (laughs) And so they know I'm good, and they know I'm capable it's the same with God. When we know that God is good, when we trust that God is good, and we know that he is capable, it'll cure us of whatever it is we're worrying about because God has got this. Second thing that we see there as a cure for worry is to give God control. We've got to be willing to give God control. Look at what Jesus said in verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Jesus isn't talking about some far-off, distant kingdom like on a treasure hunt that he's saying, hey, go find this. Go find this and you'll get everything you need. What he's saying is continue to seek or continue to pursue living in God's kingdom. A kingdom is anywhere that the king has reign, anywhere where the king's will is being done. What Jesus is saying to provide everything that you need, everything that you need, and to take your mind off your worry, then seek pursuing what God would have you do. Live for God and not for yourself. To live for God is, is, is a different concept, is a new concept maybe for some of you. It, it means not asking right away, what do I want? Or what's best for me? What's best for my family? But it's saying, what does God want? What is best for God? To seek him continuously, to pursue him continuously. There's some things that we can do. You're doing one right now. You're, you're here in church on a Labor Day weekend or you're watching online on a Labor Day weekend. That's, that's one part of it. You're worshiping with others, but being in a small group would be another part. Praying daily to God, 
reading his word. These are all things that we do to pursue living for God, to live his way and not our way. And as we do that, we lose track of our worries because we know that whatever we're focusing on, God is responsible for. That if we give that to him, if we say, God, what do you want from this situation? Then we just let go and we just say, okay, you're the only one that can control this. And so you choose to follow him. You choose to give him control. Our job is to follow God, and his job is to take care of the results. If you notice, as we talked about these, these causes of worry and these cures for worry, these, these aren't external situations. You know, there, there's some real things in life that we worry about, but as Jesus was sharing what it is that causes us to worry, these are all things that come from within. These are what we focus on, what we believe, what we think. Because the, the truth is what we focus on determines the direction we go. If we choose to focus on something, it will steer us in that direction. It's like when our kids are, are learning to ride bikes. Remember when my youngest was learning to ride her bike, and I would tell her, I'd say, Penny, just look at where you want to go. Just pedal and look ahead, and you'll go that direction. And the first thing she does is, are my feet on the pedal? So she looks down and immediately just falls right off. So the next time she's on her bike, I say, Penny, just look where you want to go. And we're, we're on this downhill, and, and it's going to have a fork in it like that. And I said, Penny, when we get to the bottom of this hill, just go left, and that takes us home. So she had two choices. She could look to the left and steer in that direction and go in that direction, or she could look straight ahead and go up that hill, which would be fine because it would slow her down. But what Penny decided to do was look at this four-foot drop that's in between the fork in the road. And so instead of being safe to the left or being safe straight ahead, she just kind of looks right there and four feet down into a ditch. And I start freaking out. I'm like, Penny, you know, I'm, I'm behind her. It was like slow motion. Luckily, she was totally fine. But it's the same idea, the same principle. What we focus on determines the direction we go. So if we focus on worry or we focus on the situation that is causing us to worry, then it's just going to give us more worry. But if we focus on God, we focus on his goodness, we focus on what he's done and what he's capable of, then we'll go towards God. We'll find peace. There was a prophet 800 years before Jesus. His name was Elisha. And he understood this very well. One day he made a very powerful king very angry. And this king sent an army, an entire army, just to find Elisha. And Elisha was in a house with his assistant, and the assistant looks out and he sees that there's an army surrounding, and he, he starts to freak out. I mean, this is a stress that I hope none of us ever have to experience. There's an army coming after us. And so, yeah, he, he's worried, he's stressed, he's freaked out. And look at what Elisha says to him in 2 Kings chapter 6. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And then Elisha prayed. Look at, look at this prayer. O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. He saw the armies of heaven coming to their rescue. You notice his prayer wasn't, Lord, take away this guy's worry. Lord, would you help this boy find peace in this moment? Lord, would you help him be calm? Notice his first prayer wasn't even, God, would you take away this army that is surrounding us? His prayer was about focus. He said, 
Lord, help him see reality. And the reality is that God is surrounding the worries that are surrounding you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you can be trusted, that you are good, that you have proven that time and time again. We just need to surrender control to you to find that peace that only you can provide, that peace that doesn't make sense. And as we continue in attitude of prayer, I would love to pray for you today. If there is something in your life that is causing you grief, it's causing you worry, it's causing you stress or anxiety, I would love to take time right now before we leave here today to pray for that worry. So if that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Anybody going through some worry or stress today? Anything at all? That's what I thought. Let's, let's pray. God, would you open our eyes? We are worried about things that, that we think are, are, are big and they're, and they're in front of us, but God, we know that you are surrounding them. We know that you have already seen the victory on the other side, and so help us to trust you. Help us to focus on that, to bring all of these things to you, that you would give us the peace that doesn't even make sense, goes beyond our own understanding as you guard our hearts and our minds. Now, if you're here today and you haven't decided yet that God is good, you haven't decided yet to put your trust in Jesus, then there is a legitimate worry that you might have. And that is what happens after this life. Jesus said that all who put their belief in him will not perish, but have eternal life, which means some who choose not to follow him will perish. And if that's you today, if you're worried because you have never said yes to Jesus, you've never decided to put your trust in him, I want to help you in a prayer right now. And there's nothing magical about these words. It just gets you on track to confess to Jesus that you believe he died for your sins. And so you can just right there in, in, in the quietness of your heart and your mind because Jesus can hear your thoughts. You just say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that, that you find me far more valuable than anything else in all of creation. And I choose today to start to live for you, to follow you. Thank you for the sacrifice that you have done. Thank you for the peace that you bring me in this life and the peace that comes in the next. Now, as we continue in an attitude of prayer with eyes closed and heads bowed, we want to be able to pray for you as well. I want to make sure that you don't leave today without an opportunity to take your first step in following Jesus. And so if you just prayed that prayer for the first time you accepted Jesus here this morning, I would love a chance to pray for you. So on the count of three with no one else looking around, all you have to do is lift your hand and I'll, I'll see it and I'll be able to pray for you. On the count of three, one, two, three. Raise your hand if you just prayed that prayer. Yes, right here to my right, over there to my left. Let me pray. God, we thank you for, for what you have done here today for how you have done what only you can do. And you've opened up the eyes of people to see who you truly are. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love those who just made this decision. We wanna pray for them, that you would protect them in their next few steps as they take a path to follow you and turn over their life to you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Saying yes to Jesus is the biggest decision you can ever make. We've created this booklet to help you with your next steps. 
So if you prayed that prayer, let us know by emailing us your address to yes at orchard.church and we'll send you a copy. Your giving fuels our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. Because of your giving, the kingdom of God grows and more people are able to find and follow Jesus. If you would like to partner with us, you can go to orchard.church give. Thank you again for taking the time to watch this service.